0: This podcast is sponsored by Eco Physiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome everybody back to the show. Today we are going to be talking about fostering self-sufficiency versus dependency in physiotherapy. My guest today is Nicola Robertson. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful yourself. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really uh I'm I'm really interested to kind of dive a little deeper um into sort of a variety of different topics but related back to, you know, uh, fostering self-sufficiency, self-efficacy uh, versus, you know, having our clients, you know, depend on us for everything and depending on us to fix them. Right. So, so I I really want to have like a nice flowy conversation about it. Are you ready to dive in? Yes, absolutely. Well, um, I figured we should probably start with, um, tell us a little bit about you because I'm sure people are going to start picking up your accent and are probably going to be curious to, as to like where you're from. Um, and yeah. So tell us about you.
1: Yeah, so I've been a physiotherapist. I qualified back in 2006. I qualified in Glasgow in Scotland. Um, So I did, first of all, a degree in sports science and physiology from the University of Glasgow, which probably closest equivalent here would be kinesiology type degree. Um, It's a little bit different, but similar field, um, uh, more physiology based. Um, and then went into physiotherapy and did a bachelor of science uh, an honours degree which kind of results in a a four-year degree with um, state registration in the UK so in Scotland there's no um, exam at the end the way there is here so that was that was a bit different Um, we kind of you know you graduate and it's here's your ward here's your list of patients see you at lunchtime. Uh, so we had that kind of difference versus here where you had to sit that formal exam, which I did sit when I came here um, with everyone else um, and did that in 2008. Um, So it's very, the, the training's fairly similar, but we probably spend more time in the UK fostering an approach to getting rid of our patients because we work in the public health sector in the UK so our job is literally to get our patients out of our clinics out of our hospitals as quickly and efficiently as possible so I don't want people to be thinking sitting and listening to this thinking oh and in Scotland they just send throw people out in the street before they're ready that's that's absolutely not the case we work with occupational therapists dieticians speech and language therapists And we're trying to get people home safely, um, but as quickly as possible. And in fact, they even have what's called rapid response teams. So when people come into emergency departments, the OTs, the, the physiotherapists, and the speech and language therapists are meeting those people to try and stop them even being admitted into the hospital. So trying to supply the services in the community so they don't need to be in the hospital because a lot of people are coming into emergency departments not necessarily because they're unwell but because they're incapable of managing at home so they're needing the services and the support so that is more of a I think from my perspective being here there's a lot more teamwork involved Um, and our job is really a hands-off job in the UK and really developing people's self-awareness, developing them to be self-sufficient, getting them back on their own two feet, whether that be from a knee replacement, a hip replacement, or following some kind of surgery or a fall at home, but really kind of developing their own confidence in themselves, rather than, you know, what I've seen sometimes, since I've been working here and I've worked in a variety of different private practice settings where it's the almighty dollar Um, and that's not everywhere but I have worked unfortunately in that setting where it's you know you need to see your private clients nine times you know this is an MVA client we have to use every penny they have Um, you know we have to use every penny that's available to us and maximize the profit of the clinic you know you need to make sure they're seeing the massage therapist twice a week they need to be working with the physio assistant they need to be in the clinic for x amount of time and I think that kind of was very difficult shift when I came here to to kind of get those people in because I'm like oh I'll see you in three weeks here's your home program um you know I didn't even really know how to use an IFC machine and you know I was working with colleagues they're like oh you didn't you didn't use a heat pack with them um, and I was like well they have a heat pack at home so they could probably use that by themselves so it was a it was a real shift and that's probably why I now have to, went into owning my own clinic so I didn't want to be a clinic that was trying to see people as often as possible but ultimately was trying to help people meet their own goals rather than my financial gain. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me and where I'm at now.
0: So I have a question when, so back, uh, back home, um, when you were seeing, cause you mentioned like knee replacement, hip replacement falls, um, it's sounding like you, you were tailoring more to geriatric populations uh-huh. versus like, Acute.
1: No, we saw, I saw lots of acute, like I would see, you know, sports injuries. I worked, I worked in the sports population as well. So I worked for soccer teams. And so again, the goal was to get them back on the field as quickly as possible. Um, lots of acute medical. So we worked on medical wards and and we were also um, a lot of people don't realize this. We don't have a respiratory therapy program in the UK. So physiotherapists take on that role or cardiac rehab people. So there's a lot of things that we take on that we don't typically would take. We wouldn't typically take on here. So we, we do a lot of that. So um, we have a lot of pediatric specialists and even, you know, one of my special, my passion area is chronic pain and pelvic health and pelvic health in the UK. When I came here, it was still fairly new and in the UK, it was just something that happened. You know, right. We, we had physiotherapists working on maternity units. Like, we had, it, we had at least one physio per ward in the major hospitals. Um, whereas here, I don't think that's the case.
0: Uh, I, I'm sure there are, well, there's definitely physios on wards, um, but I don't know how often or how permanent those jobs are. They, from what I was gathering, a lot of them were casual or, um, you know, part-time. And I don't think I've heard of physios, um, like in the pelvic health room, working in maternity wards, but that would be really cool. Yeah, I think it. I think it's... And useful.
1: Yeah, even, even just giving people, you know, I think even post-C-section, simple advice on movement, simple... Guidance on, you know, this is normal, this is normal, expect this to happen, expect to feel this way. You know, the physios are very rarely doing anything internal, obviously, immediately postpartum. Yeah. They're giving people reassurance and advice so that people are not going home completely at a loss of how to move. You know, that's why we were working in medical units, you know, people with abdominal surgeries. Uh, But managing
0: pain, right? Like, how do you how do you like and and what's to be expected and how do you move and and still feel safe with the movement? Right. So you can get back home and get, you know, you know, taking care of a baby or, you know, start whatever it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the general
1: consensus were in hospitals where physios were the devils because we were the ones, you know, you had your surgery or your procedure or your baby. And, you know, a couple of hours later, a physio pops their head and So time to get up, eh? You know, patients were like, no. You're like, yeah, it's not really a choice. You are getting up now. You know, we had very strict protocols on how quickly people were up post-surgically um, surgical because we wanted to reduce pneumonias, we wanted to reduce in, in, long-term complications and get people home quickly. Um, you know, obviously I haven't worked in the UK for, gosh, 12 years now, but I do, you know, as far as I'm aware, that's still still the way things work. And and during the, 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 the kind of acute COVID cases, it was a physiotherapist working in the in, you know, intensive care units and high dependency units, not only helping people clearing their chest, but getting people up and moving um, so they could get home quicker. So um, we also have big outpatients departments as well, you know, um, 15, 10 to 15 physios working in outpatients departments to help people with their low back pain, their knee pains, their elbow pains you know, and it's all publicly funded. So everyone who's sitting at home going, it's free. Yes, it's free. (laughs)
0: Um, That's, that's a prime setting for really talking about the concept of hurt versus harm. Yeah. Because, you know, post-surgically people, you know, it's, I think there's a lot of fear around like, am I safe to, you know, Am I safe to run? Am I safe to do a plank if I have a diastasis? Am I safe if I have a prolapse? Am I safe because every time I move, you know, my back really, really hurts? And so should I move? Should I not move? I think, you know, people sometimes are really shocked that when I say like, sometimes, you know, when they, when you've broken a hip and they put a pin in, they expect you up and walking, like yeah. within a few well, sure. I, you know, few hours. Right. And you're thinking, but isn't it, you know, like I had a fracture, like, is it healed? Can I do it? Right. I wonder if you could speak to, um, you know, how you sort of, how you dealt with the, uh, patient looking at you, like, what do you mean we're getting up? Like how, how, how are you helping them understand and foster safety in their movement?
1: So a lot of the you know, and you know, again, you're right. And I mean, I think when it comes to any kind of pain, we all live in the, well, if it hurts, I shouldn't do it. Right. You know, and I, I think we all struggle with that piece quite a lot. Um, so, you know, take a hip replacement, for example, you know, people would always, oh, well, you know, I just had this major surgery and I was out um, and this really hurts you know, I, I, I actually use, I find with most people, you use the visual, you know, you use the visual diagram, this hip is stable, the surgeon did a great job, yet it's going to hurt because they were in there, they did a lot of work in there, but actually what they did was improve the situation. Same with, um, you know, people having abdominal surgery, people having C-sections, you know, yet the scar is going to hurt a lot, but it's actually really safe, it's really secure, they did a really good job. I always explain to people as well the difference between her, you know, the hurt versus the harm. Pain is a warning signal. It's not actually an indication that there's danger. It's a warning signal from our brain that there is something that our, our bodies are not happy about. It's not an indication there's danger. So if you're sitting at home and you pull your finger back um, and you pull it to a point of tension, your, your brain probably says, oh, I don't, I don't like that so much. It's your brain telling you you should maybe ease off. You know we've all done a stretch that are you know we, you know we all see those people in the gym. Oh, I love this stretch, and they you're thinking that stretch looks really uncomfortable. You try it yourself, and you're like, yeah, that feels uncomfortable. But you know the difference between pain and discomfort, and that's the difference between hurt and harm. So when we're hurting it's an indication that maybe we should uh, slow it down modify things a little bit it doesn't mean we're hurting our system in any way shape or form it's an indication that we can maybe change things a little bit modify things a little bit um but it's not an indication we're actually in danger and so i i worked a lot with people in that state and i still do and i see it pretty much every day in almost every client in some shape or form and so it's it's I think we have to spend as physios, in fact, just as healthcare providers in general, um, regardless of what you do, you know, whether you're a personal trainer, a kinesiologist, an athletic therapist, a chiropractor, a physio, a family doctor, we have to actually educate people as to what pain actually means um, because people are terrified of pain, um, especially when they're not in any understanding as to what pain actually means for their system, because there are people out there who think a headache is a brain aneurysm because they've watched a little bit too much Grey's Anatomy. Or they went on to Google and WebMD has a wonderful Diagnose Your Symptoms and it says it could be a headache or it could be a brain tumour. And most people are going to think they have a brain tumour before they think they have a headache
0: right right well yeah, there's definitely fear um when going onto online forums for for sure and i find it interesting that there's this almost conception that like healing isn't painful right there is a process that needs to actually occur when we heal, right? You got an acute appendicitis, it hurts because there's like legitimately your brain's like, whoa, something's going on here. Like you need to get this looked at immediately, right? So pain threshold will go, you know, ringing that bell really loudly. You get the surgery, you have stitches, right? The, the actual danger has been removed, but sure. there's still pain with the healing process, right? And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that something bad is happening. It's just like there's a bunch of processes right now that is actually trying to make you better and your body needs to kind of move and it needs to still do certain (laughs) things. And I think we can play a really good and important role in – as you said, pain education, understanding like, okay, so you got some receptors, they're firing. Okay, let's work within this range. Let me show you how to work within this range. And even if you get close to the end range of this, you're likely still safe.
1: Yeah. Right? I think as well, the other thing is to remind, you know, you've probably experienced in your your career as well, you know, the, the, the client who broke their ankle you know, and the next time they injure that ankle, the immediate fear is they broke their ankle and it's because it feels the same. And it's not that they broke their ankle, it's there's that muscle memory, there's the, 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 the kind of neuro tag on the brain that that's the immediate pain they go to. Um, you know, I was stung by a wasp when I was seven. So every time I see a wasp, that's the thing I remember. You
0: know? oh, 100% like you will see me flail I, I mean I will acrobat out of the way of a wasp like people but my husband's always like you're gonna get stung just because you're flailing around and I just can't I, you know and so I'm like okay I'm just gonna sit it doesn't want to hurt me and I just sit there and I'm and then you could see me just tense and build up and then I you know immediately go into this
1: yeah Yeah. they're my favorite kind of people like I I love I love watching wasp people but you know I think but I think that's you know that that fear base you know or you know the person who hurt themselves doing a squat you know or the first time I ever did a squat I felt this I heard this pop you know they maybe didn't even hurt themselves but they heard the pop and it was enough to create the fear base or you know I don't do something because this happened, or I won't, I won't claim, I won't do this because my friend, you know, okay, prime example, I won't have a flu shot because my friend had a terrible reaction to one. Because we learn from other people's experiences. So, you know, I I know somebody who didn't have an epidural because, her friend had an epidural and had a you know terrible time with it you know had you know terrible headaches afterwards and so on and so forth and you know she regrets it now because she ended up having a c section now whether that would have made a difference or not we'll never know and she she said you know she always kind of regrets this situation but my my response is always we'll never know so there's no point beating yourself up about it I said, but it's really interesting how we let other people's experiences lead our own thought processes or our previous experiences lead what we think is going to happen the second time. You know, I've had two kids. My first delivery was not fun. I don't go into too much detail on that. So I had a preconceived notion of how my second would go. Totally different child, totally different birth, totally different experience. I still wouldn't do it again. But it was totally had the second one been first, I might have done it a third time,
0: yeah, well, I mean, you know, but that's life, right our experiences inform the future of decisions, and as with anything, right, we have anticipations of what things are going to be, and then yeah. when we get when we actually get there, yeah it's totally different than what we thought it was going to be and and it's and it's similar with sometimes similar with pain, pain is yeah it's 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 one of those very fascinating interesting things because we can watch somebody like america 's funniest home videos, for example, we can watch people take on some major things you know major accidents, and we actually can feel it like you know seeing a, a you know a gentleman get hit by a ball in you know the nether region and we're yes. all like, oh, you know we have this bodily reaction um because well we have mirror neurons right like we have neurons that like are like whoa that's like as if it's happening to me and like this is how i would react if it was me that we actually can feel our physiology change yet nothing is actually happening right and i feel our
1: responsibility
0: as healthcare professionals is to help people break
1: that down right so that's where the you know the kind of teaching people self-sufficiency is teaching them how to break their belief systems down, not tear them down, not destroy people's belief systems, but start to address them. Well, why do you think that? Why do you think you've started to think that way? Well, how do you think we could change that? Okay. You know, I've never, I can't do the the squat person, the person who thinks they can't squat. Okay. But they can sit down on a toilet seat. Right. So start to ask them, well, how do you sit down? Show me how you sit on a toilet seat. Show me how you sit down on a chair. And then show them that they are actually already squatting. Yeah. And then start building that into a functional plan, right? You know, you just, it's very easy to change someone's perceptions without making them feel, first, that they're done, because I think that's the other thing that happens sometimes in our profession. We're like, Oh no, no, like that's not, that's wrong. You know? And I, I've been, and you know, I'm perfectly happy to admit I've been that physio that's kind of dismissed somebody's pain. That's dismissed somebody's fears. Whereas I think now I can, I want to go and apologize to those people and say, I'm really sorry. I made a mistake and that was wrong of me. Um, but I think, you know, you only learn by making those mistakes, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, being able to, to now say to somebody, you know, I I, understand, I, I appreciate how you're feeling right now, but let, let's talk about that more. Let's talk about how we can change this. Let's talk about what you really want out of life, what's important to you, and how we can get you there. Because, you know, you, you, you get the young mums, you get the, 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 the hockey players who are scared to play hockey because they broke their ankle on the ice, but they're scared to get back on the ice. I've had the you know, that scenario, but all they want to do is play hockey,
0: right? So how do you, so like, let's, let's take the hockey player example, you know, what, what are some ways that you would approach that? Like how, how do you, you know, when you think about building self-sufficiency, we'll use that as an example, what, what might be some things that you're thinking about, or what are some things that you might have them do to sort of challenge that belief in their ability to actually skate.
1: So a lot of the times what, you know, we, we start with, you know, we start with, you know, the, the low level, straightforward exercises. We get them walking, running, you know, I do I, I say as much as I can hands off with those, those guys or women, because it doesn't, I think the temptation is to to do the hands-on stuff to try and relieve their pain, you know, tape them up, give them an ankle brace. If there's no instability there, doing those things gives them a false sense of security. And you don't want to do that. Then it's, it's simple things like I, I am, there's a specific person I'm thinking of, obviously. Um, we got him a hockey boot without blades on. And he was then just walking in the hockey boots without blades. Um, we got him used to walking and when we got him on the ice with sneakers on with you know like after the after players had been on and the ice was was all rough we got him just walking on the ice so he got used to being on the ice um, and then we got him basically walking right like literally like Bambi walking around the side, you know and then coming away from the side. You know, this, this, this particular person was a phenomenal skater. He wasn't just a, you know, a lot of hockey players. Sorry if you're a hockey player, but they're not great skaters, but he was actually a really good skater as well. Um, but it was just, it was showing, it was taking him almost by the hand, but not doing anything, making him see that his
0: ankle was fine. What if he's experiencing pain? How do you explain the so, pain despite it being healed?
1: So, a lot of the time, so I, he, was, he was under the care of an orthopedic surgeon. So, the orthopedic surgeon had shown him the scans, which was helpful for us. So, the orthopedic surgeon had said, Look, Here's your scans, there's nothing. He took a normal scan and his scan and showed him and compared them, and they were normal. But he would say to me, I still feel pain. So I actually used, um, there's a really good book by Adrian Lau, who um, is a physiotherapist, and it's called Explain Pain. And he talks a lot about the lion in the room. So he, the the lion in the room is the fear of the pain. So the lion is, is the pain, and it's always there. It's, it's almost like a fear. Um, So we kind of, he kind of changed his thought of what the he he didn't use the word pain, he changed the word to fear. I feel the fear. I feel yeah. the fear. So he adjusted the way he talked about his pain and he talked about it as fear. Because by the time he got to the stage where he was walking on the ice in sneakers, he had he had better balance than anybody else on the team. He had better mobility. He had better strength. You know, he could box jump with one leg. He could pistol squat. You know, he was squatting better than he'd ever squatted before. It was simply that fear base that was, and it was only when he had to go on ice, he ever felt pain. So it was really just, and a lot of the time I went with him, but I wouldn't hold his hand. I would just walk beside him and we would talk about anything
0: other than the fact we were on ice. Right, and and that's a really, you know, good point. So what it sounds like that you did was graded exposure, right? You you did everything you needed to do on land. He was feeling good, like, you know, doing, as you said, like squats and jumps and everything on that leg. Right, yeah. to- totally fine, right? Um, and then experiencing pain with that particular uh, activity, right? And and that's what we try to instill in people is try to help them understand that it, you know, pain is more complex than just a physical, biological process, right? Yeah. Um. So we break it down into smaller chunks so that even though there might be pain and discomfort, um, the the task that we're doing. Is not enough force or not enough energy that would cause tissue damage, right? So like being like, is this really dangerous? Is you just standing on the ice really dangerous? Yeah. And then breaking down those, you know, fears around the discomfort, right? Because again, that discomfort might be just that neuro tag firing in the brain, going, remember the last time you were on ice, how badly you injured it. Do you want that to happen again? And the brain goes, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you so much that I'm actually going to make you hurt on the ice so you get off. Yeah. And, you know, and I think
1: we have to, and I think that's sometimes where we, we struggle, you know, you know, sometimes we don't have enough, our, our patients, you know, they want to get better yesterday. Right. I don't, I don't think any of us can, can say we have patients who are like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. You know, I've had pain for for 10 years. You know, I'm I'm willing to wait a year, you know, I'm willing to work at this for a year. They're like, how long? Like five weeks, like three sessions. You know, they, they all, they all, you know, I, I know people are not, you know, most people know it's not going to happen overnight, but they want it happening
0: fast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And I think, as a result, clinicians want to have it to happen as fast for them because we want, you know, we don't get into this profession, we don't we don't do what we do because we, you know, we're, and we want our patients to be waiting two years to get better. But I think being patient with the process is part of it. Also, realizing we're not the panacea, we can give them all the information we can teach them, we can give them the exercises, we can we can educate, but at the end of the day, we have to let our patients be responsible, our patients' clients, sorry, I use those terms inter- interchangeably, but we have to give them time to process that. Because for some people, that's really hard because they have been told so many things by so many people. They've been told somewhere probably along the line, they'll never get better. They have been told they have a chronic condition, and that's it. They've been told they have arthritis, and it's going to get worse. They've been told they have the spine of a 90-year-old at the age of 35. They've been told um, they're disabled. They've been told they'll never play hockey again. They've been told um, they'll never be able to have more children they've been told their abdominal wall is unsafe and they can't lift their own children. You know, we, you know, we've all had that, that client, that patient sitting in front of us and they come to us as a last resort, but they have such a strong mindset that somebody else has made them disabled. Mm. And we have to give them the time and the, and, you know, I have, I sometimes spend three, four, five sessions just talking and educating those people, you know? And, you know, I think sometimes you have to, you know, you only give them two exercises to go home with because they still don't feel safe in their own bodies. Yeah. Um, But the last thing you want to do is create, you know, they'll be like, well, would acupuncture help? Would TENS help? Would this, I saw this thing online, would
0: that help? The the massage gun, the, the you know... Do, yeah. do your Kegels while playing a game. Uh, you know, get get abs in six weeks. So let's let's talk about those things because our clients are coming in and they're they're asking, and it, it seems like they're asking more often now. Like I've just seen, especially like during this COVID thing, right? Because people are at home in pain. Yeah, weren't sure if they could or could not access care, and I mean, we had restrictions, you know, when the shutdown first happened, and then you know that's loosened up since then. And people just didn't know what to do, but they didn't want to go to the hospital. Nope. Right, so they're at home, in pain, and are on the internet trying to figure out what what do I do. So you know, you see the massage gun; it claims it's going to do this. So I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, how, you know, what do you think about these things? Like, do you know? Are there appropriate times to use those things? Are they just totally like, you know.
1: It's, it's hard. Like there are so many gimmicks and get, I I always kind of tell people, you know, objectively think about it. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If the program says get, get abs in six, you know, I've seen those programs and I'm like, what are you going to do about my body fat percentage in the meantime? Because to get abs in six weeks, we know your body fat, especially as a woman has to go down quite low to get a six pack um you know the massage guns you know i, I hear people saying oh they really help loosen up my SI joint anatomically you can't reach your si joint at all you know it's just si joint hypermobility high, you know th- th- we just we can't find it we can't we can't touch it you know i we can say there's some stiffness around that region or maybe it's it's there's some muscles issue going on, but we you know all you know upper cross syndrome, lower cross syndrome, subluxation. These are the things that these massage guns are t- are helping. You know, I actually just looked at one of the ads this morning, and I I kind of cringed a little bit. It's it's kind of creating the
0: the diagnostic structural. I think, a, I think it's maybe a language issue, yeah. right? Which yeah. we which we've had, you know, in physiotherapy, you yeah. know, very, very, and and across other rehabilitative um services, difficulty with yeah. the language of around and, and the language is always changing. Pain neuroscience is always changing, right? Yeah realistically speaking, if somebody does feel better with something like that, it's likely because of sensory motor cortex changes and the way the brain is perceiving that area versus Um, the massage gun loosening something, right? Like it may help, but let's talk about why it helps from a, you know, from a pain science perspective versus saying like it's fixing your subluxation. Firstly, if you have a subluxation, there's like a true, One, like there's going to be, there's some serious problems there, right? Like I'd be concerned about spinal cord. Yeah.
1: You should be in hospital.
0: Yeah. Most likely. Yeah.
1: I, I always kind of tell people if something works for you, whether it's, you know, people, you know, you know, we all have clients who'll say to us, this, this specific treatment works for me, whether I believe scientifically that works or not, whether I can back it up with research or not. If you want to spend your money and your time on that, that is 100% your choice in life. You have to make the decision if you're going to spend the time, you know, if you invest in a, like, a one I use is like the, the the Kegel Kegel thing that's going around that you play a game on your iPhone with or your your, you know, it's a, You insert it inside and you play a game for 20 minutes doing your Kegel exercises. I would never spend 20 minutes doing Kegels. Never. I would never advise a client to do that. But if you think that is something you are willing to do and invest the time and the money and the energy, and you would rather do that than go to pelvic health, it's absolutely better than nothing. But are you really going to do it? Are you re- you know we've all I've done it I'm sure you've done it as well Madeline we've bought stuff full of enthusiasm we've bought a gadget for the kitchen. I bought a slap chop not a, not scared to admit it. it was in the garbage in a week because yeah. I, don't, I don't use those things i don't use gimmicks i don't use ga- you know i just i don't have the time i don't have the energy. I always end up going back to the same things i've always used. I use a knife to chop my vegetables, you know. So I always tell people, if you're willing to spend the time, the energy, you know, like people will say to me, oh, what about this online exercise program? If it's someone who's postpartum, I try and direct them to the ones that I know are tried and tested by other physio colleagues or physio colleagues have actually been involved in the development of them. i that I know have good exercise programs. I find there's just so many out there, um, because I'm not a personal trainer, and nor am I going to charge my clients my rates to come in and do a 30 minute exercise program. I, you know, if they're ready to go onto an exercise program, I'm going to advise them where to go. But I think we are so bombarded on a daily basis from facebook social media with images of how we should look as women and men i actually see it a lot even in the male world as well that we're 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 doing things in a gimmicky way you know the 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 diet industry is the best example of gimmicks You know, there's always a new diet, a quick fix, an easy way to do things. And I always tell people, if it it sounds too good to be true, Mm -hmm. the chances are it really, really is. Do your research, do your homework, send an email to a physio in your area. You know, just do a Google search. Most physios or chiros or personal trainers in your local area are more than happy to respond to you and give you a really honest review of whether they think, you know, just say, you know, I've been having some back pain, some neck pain. You know, I I wondered if you thought this would be a good fit. I don't really have the finances to come and see someone like yourself on a regular basis. And they'll give you an honest opinion if they think that's a worthy investment. You know, yes, they'll probably tell you if you can afford an assessment, that would be beneficial. But if you can, not this would, this would be a good alternative, or it wouldn't, yeah. and this might be a better option. So I think we have to watch what we really are doing. I think you have to, you know, I get people asking me questions about what I call gimmicky stuff, like for a little while, um, thanks to Gwyneth Paltrow, vaginal steaming was all the rage for a little while. Um, and I, 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 informed people I didn't, I didn't really see any evidence for it. You know, I looked up the evidence and I, I was like, I don't really see anything that suggests this is good for you. Nothing, you know, and why would you not just have a warm bath? It has the same, you know, heat, warm water probably feels better, probably feels less
0: uncomfortable. Um, and there's people less, less to. likely to burn yourself or whatever. Right. Yes. I mean, yeah. But, but that's, and I think that's the piece that, you know, I try to do with my clients is, you know, how can we make this functional? How can we, you know, like if you want to, if you're going to invest to do some pelvic floor exercise, like let's try it with like stuff that you already do, right? Like, or if it's like, I'm leaking with running. Okay. What are the, st- how can we break this down? so that we're training you to feel like you can do that activity better and feel more confident doing it versus like sitting for 20 minutes with a thing inside which does i don't know i don't know if that translates into running though right mm-hmm. like when i you know after my baby you know my 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 you know being a pelvic floor physio you know i was i was doing my i was i was working out the area um and i do brazilian jiu jitsu so like i said to myself okay look you need to be able to do the warm up which is some jumping jacks there are going to be jumping jacks part of your warm up and if you can't do them then you should have no business doing brazilian jiu jitsu because I cannot think about what my bladder's doing while somebody's trying to choke me unconscious, okay, or or break my arm or whatever, right? Like I need to be thinking about tapping to be like, yep, no, that's good. You got me versus, okay, what's my bladder doing, right? And so that's, you know, that's, I, I did my exercises and then I specifically trained my muscles in jumping, yeah. And then I progressed it from like a hop to a hop with my legs open, hop to close my legs. Okay, let's hop with one full rotation of a jumpy jack. Okay, great, didn't leak. Let's try two. You know, and then it'd be like, oh, on the third one I leaked. Okay, baseline is 3. Great. Now I can build up from there. And and that made functional sense for me and I trained it and then it just didn't leak anymore. And then I was like, okay, I'm, you know, now I'm gonna, you know, I got the warm up part down. I can run, you know, lightly jog because I'm not a runner. So I can lightly jog. I can do my jumping jacks. Um, you know, I'm not leaking under any other circumstances. And then, like, gently, you know, going in for a beginner class, right? And then I just, I, I literally broke it down to the task and the goal of what I was trying to achieve. And I don't know that me squeezing a ball
1: for 20 minutes
0: would have done that for me. It just wouldn't yeah. have been functional. And it had no meaning to me. Whereas yeah. jumping jacks and jujitsu had meaning. And I was like, there is no way I'm going to pee doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's,
1: I think that's the biggest issue a lot of people like, and I think that's the advantage of seeing a, a professional is a good one. The first, one of the first things I always tell people is if I had a magic wand right now, what would you, and I could cure, everything that's going on with you right now, what would your life look like? What would you be doing? You know, and I've had everything from, well, I, I, I'd just be able to go for coffee with my friends and wear white pants instead of black ones, to I'd be able to do the splits, which, you know, people tell me they want to do the splits. I'm like, okay, now I have to learn to do the splits. Great. but you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, But, you know, I, I think we have to... I think we have to set goals with our clients and they have to be specific exactly to the client. And the, you have to like find out what makes them tick, you know, and that's one of the reasons I went in, to, that's one of the reasons I set up my own clinic is rather than setting up work, working for a clinic I'd worked for before with the, you know, see your private clients nine times, you know, I'm working to the client's goals. Okay, where are we at? You know, every two, two or three sessions, I'm like, so let's go back to your goals. These were your goals. How, how close? What percentage are we at to your goals? Fifty percent, sixty percent. Like you were saying, mm. no, Okay, I can my, my I can do three. I'm not ready yet, right? Okay, now I can go to beginner class. Okay, now I can go back and have somebody. Attempt to break my arm. Good for you. Um, hopefully, you were breaking their arm. You know.
0: You know. After you've done it for a long time, you know, you 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 learn some some offense. You're not always in defense.
1: <laughs> but you know, I i you know, I, we have to. You know, we have a responsibility to get people exercising, but we also have to make sure it's something that brings them joy. You know? And that's
0: going to foster that self sufficiency, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 you know, we want to give you the tools uh, to get you there, but we can't do it for you. Right. And that's, and that's the same, th- you know, sometimes with the um, gimmicky stuff, it's like, it's, it's sometimes the impression, like pain medication, perfect examples. Like there's this impression that the pain medication is just going to make everything go away. Like, I'm just going to take this pill and like all is well. And that's not the purpose of medication. The purpose yeah. of medication is to help you mitigate and and lower your pain threshold yeah. so that we can get you moving yeah. and exercising and not you know cursing our name under your breath because it hurts so much, right? But yeah. like those things need to happen. And yeah. so the whole point is like if you find something that helps to lower your pain threshold so that you can continue rehabilitating yeah. the way that is necessary. Uh, great. If heat helps use it, right? Like if that's going to help you calm the system down and you're going to keep going with your exercises, I'm all for it. Right. If tens happens to be the thing that lowers your threshold down so you can do your exercises and get your body moving, get back to activities. I'm also all for that too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But buy your own and use it yourself. Don't come and, and, and don't, don't, don't go and attend a, a physiotherapy practice for that on a weekly basis or anybody for that matter. You know, you can purchase them online. Like that's why I always tell my clients, I'm, like, like you said, if that's what you need and you're going to use it, great. Buy it. Go for it. I am 100% behind you on that. But you, you're responsible for that piece of your care. You're, you know, you're responsible for, you know, for taking your pain medication. I'm, I'm not going to guide you on that. That's, that's all on you. I'm going to guide you to a point you can move, you can meet your goals and you can manage what you have. You can manage what you, you can manage your life. The, yeah. the, the whole, you know, I, I, one of the things I say to every patient when I, they come in on the first assessment, my ultimate goal is we don't see each other anymore, and I think that is something that's missing. You know, as this is not this is not a lifelong relationship. This is we're going to get divorced. It's going to be a nice, clean, tidy divorce. We're it's going to be amicable. We're going to be friends after this. I'm always here for you in the future. But the reality is, I want you to be able to look after you, and. You know, I I set that off from the very outset of my treatment plan. You know, what are your goals? Where do you want to be? And how we're going to get there. And I I try as much as possible to set out some kind of, you know, I never never set up with the, you know, I'm going to see you three times and this is what's going to happen. I say to people, I'm going to see you somewhere between six and 25 times. Because I don't know. Yeah.
0: I I find that always a challenge to think about because it's, you know, especially when I've met you the first time, it's like, well, there's so many factors that play into an assessment as well. Um, You know, so you try to give a range. It's just you get the like really big eyes when you're like, well, it could be between six and 25. They're like, what? And I'm like, I don't know because. I'm not your mom and I can't do your exercises for you and I can't tell you to do them. So a lot of it's, and I say straight up, a lot of the success of the protocol, like a lot of success of the treatment is 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 dependent on you. Yeah. Right?
1: I, when I, I love it when they come in and they're like, oh, I haven't done my exercise. I'm like, great, you're making me a lot of money. And they kind of, they kind of back up, clients will back up. And I'm, I'm sorry if you're a client of mine, but you've heard this conversation. And they'll say, "Well, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, if you're not doing your homework, you you need to keep coming." I'm glad you came. Or when the other one is when people cancel and they say, "Well," I'm, or the email, "I don't haven't done my exercises. I don't know if I should come in." You absolutely need to come in because we need to talk about why you're not doing your exercises. Like, is it too much? Can you not fit them in? Do you not understand why you're doing them? Because that's the other thing I think I've had. I actually have had clients, and I've almost given them. They said, oh, I, I did these before, but I didn't understand why. But now I know why I'm able to do them. Like they yeah. have always done exactly the same things they've been told before, but they never knew the reason why because they didn't realize it was going to meet their goal because they couldn't see how that that led from A to B. They couldn't see the piece and the line in between. Yeah, and, and, you know, and that's where the education piece comes in. And it's, Again, it's so missed. And I think, you know, again, in a lot of practices, we're trying, you know, we've been forced to see people so quickly. You know, I, I worked in a practice where I saw people every 15 minutes. How, are, how is that efficient? How are we possibly giving good service in, in 15 minutes? Um, and, you know, I know some I know some physios really are giving good service in 15 minutes because they're they're, they're, they're running late and they're sacrificing time and they're giving up lunch breaks to fill in the extra gaps. Mm. Um, but, you know, um, we, 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 I think, I, and I don't blame physios for that. I blame, I blame the systems that have been set up against us, like the workers comp systems and things that have been, I've kind of pushed us into that, that system where we have to make money by seeing people really fast. Um, yeah. But, you know, the the education is worth way more. You know, if you give a patient one exercise, but they know why they're doing it, it's worth 50 exercises.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a big key, you know. And I certainly think that, um, you know, again, one of the benefits of the... Um, forced lockdowns or having to do virtual care is that we actually had the opportunity at that time to educate and do um, movements. And, you know, I was teaching clients, okay, well, if it hurts, you know, here's how you can do some of your own soft tissue work. And like, you can do all of this on your own. And in fact, you know, people were getting better quicker because I was giving them the confidence. Yeah. Right. That they were more than capable of working with their own bodies to get better. Um, and because they had no choice, they couldn't come in, you know, for any kind of hands-on. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I think that's kind of one of the things with physiotherapy is that like, I don't think people appreciate the education piece. um, Like they they might not appreciate that that is in fact treatment, right? Like helping you understand what's going on in your body and, and, and teaching you how to listen to your own body. And and you mentioned this before, how do you feel safe? Yeah. How can we create a sense of safety in your body so you can move, even though there's some discomfort, knowing that you are safe and, and then, you know, why, why you're doing it. Mm
1: And sometimes even just to educate, you know, that, that zero to 10 scale, which I know a lot of people struggle with, but I've always framed it as zero's your zero. Like zero means no pain to you. It's what, you know, and 10 is your worst pain. Make it, you know, and I always tell people anything over five, six, we don't want to be going anywhere past that. Six yeah. is your, six is your pressure point and anything over that. We don't need to touch it. Yeah. And I think I think people really, you know, and I said, and, you know, people say I have a high tolerance of pain. I said, but that's okay because you can tolerate a six. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if it's a six or it's a ten. You know, you can only, we're only going to a six. So even if you have a high tolerance, we're still staying at six. So it yeah. doesn't really
0: matter. Because it, it's your so. six, right? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I think you know there's 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 definitely a, a shift happening. You know my my uh, podcast, you know talking with Carolyn, and then her turning me to um, you know the book um, and the presentation. You know is this the end of physiotherapy as we know it? I think I think you know for us to really help people is to really build that self efficacy, and I know Carolyn would 100% agree with self efficacy being one of the major indicators if you're going to get better because if you don't feel like you can do things and manage your own pain that that's going to create a whole slew of different issues right yeah i want to just i want to just chat a little bit um about you know just some pelvic health things because i mean of course you see it in pain but you see it in pelvic health too you know um a lot of our clients you know come in with a a, a mild prolapse and it's and it's happened actually quite a bit recently to me where they're sort of coming in and they're like this is this is this is terrible. Like I'm so scared. Like I don't want to have a surgery and I go, "Well, okay. So I'm like, can you feel your prolapse right now? Like do you have any sense of it happening right now?" Well, no, but when I when I touch, I feel it. I was like, "Okay, but uh, but no issues with any day-to-day activities. You can do everything you need to do." Um they're like, y- "Yeah. You know, but they're really, you know, they're really scared that like they can't do things now all of a sudden because they've just all of a sudden felt something that was probably already there. Just, they didn't feel it until that particular moment. Um, You know, how do you, you know, like, how do you address, how do you, how do you you talk about that?
1: Yeah. It's it's really interesting how, um, so it's quite interesting because I was just, um, so I don't know if you've heard of Adam Meekins and Ben Cormack. They're a couple of guys in the UK. Um,
0: I, I've heard Adam, uh, or I've seen things on, on Twitter. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure the other person's name, d- is their Twitter handle the same as uh, their name? Yeah, Ben Cormack. Okay. Yeah, then I, I don't think I follow him on Twitter.
1: Um, he's He owns, uh, Core... Cor- Oh, I can't remember the company he owns. Anyway, they're they like Adam particularly likes to be a bit controversial and he likes to annoy people a little bit, but he <laughs> they, they they did they they call they've collaborated together and he, he did something recently and he it was it, it kind of speaks to that a little bit and it was your your MRI doesn't define you, right? And yeah. I think it's very relevant when we think about prolapse. Your prolapse doesn't define you. And I think yeah, any age of woman who is told, you know, I be, you know, I've been to a gynecologist and they go, oh, your cervix is low. And even in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, what? Oh my goodness. I don't, I actually have a bladder prolapse. I don't have a, a uterine prolapse. Okay, it was two days before my period, which is probably why it was low. Um, so but what happens is, first of all, it's so much more in the media as well. And people, and you know, I think Facebook groups, there are certain Facebook groups that are really supportive and really full of wonderful information, but then there's the opposite. There's places where people literally go to just talk about how bad their lives are. Um, And I think there's just not enough positive education prolapse. And and another one that comes up a lot is diastasis recti. They're not new. They've been, you know, they've, they've been around for years, centuries, as long as women have been around. Um, and I think the perception that prolapse is a, is a disability is so, it's like saying arthritis is a dis- disability. And so a lot of times with these women um, who come in like, like the person or people you're talking about with the, I can feel it, but I can, I can do everything. You know, I normally kind of take them back to the day they they discovered it and say, well, you know, talk talk me through the day that you found it, and um, you know how that came around and what was happening the day before, you know, what what you know because they can normally remember that pretty well, you know. Yeah. Or, I was really stressed out with the kids. Things were going really bad. Um, I was
0: constipated.
1: Yeah. So we normally talk about how all those things happen. I I guess I use some really good, um, I have some really good uh, illustrations from the, from pelvic guru, from Tracy Scher, and um, that kind of show the kind of different stagings and, and what that kind of looks like. Um, I reassure, you know, I do do a physical exam and kind of reassure them what's going on, you know, that. You know, actually, you, you know, most of them, I find their pelvic floor strengths generally good, um, especially if they don't have any other dysfunction with it. They don't have any painful sex. They don't have any bowel or bladder dysfunction. They don't have any incontinence. Um, and it's really trying to get them to redefine what that means for them, right? Or, you know, and then a lot of them, it's, well, I want to have another baby. Does this mean? So does this mean I can't have another baby? I, I don't know if- you've had that as well you know i can't have another baby because if i push it's going to fall out so i know you know i say so well the day you were constipated you were pushing and that's when you find it so let's you know if you're going to have another baby we can talk about there's lots of positions we can get you in so that won't happen so it's trying to to redefine their understanding of what prolapse is and compassionately like that you know the first thing you're like okay this is scary this feels scary to you. Like, let's, let's talk about that. And again, deconstructing that belief system. Why do you think it's scary? Well, my yeah. friend, and, or my mom, my grandma, my aunt, my cousin, there's always a backstory. There's all, well, I think I, maybe I should just have the surgery. Maybe I should just have the surgery. You know, and even even if they they have that in their head, sometimes, you know, I've even supported people to, you know, ask their doctor to have a consult with the gynecologist. That, you know, I have a good relationship with the gynecologist here, and I'll write to the gynecologist and say, you know, I found this, they have good strength, they're concerned that they need surgery, and nine times, 99.9% of the time, the surgeons are saying, no, you don't need surgery, right? Because there's, yeah. not, there's nothing there to do surgery on. Um, and I mean, it's also an 18-month waiting list, sadly, locally. But I think being, being a positive advocate for them, and again, what's their goals? Okay, what do you need to be doing? What's important to you? What's your exercise goals? What's your life goals? Okay, let's start doing those things and supporting them on, in those things. The other thing I tell them is if you, you know, example, I had a, a girl who had a prolapse who was told she couldn't run by somebody else and I said and she said but I love running it brings me joy and I said okay let's deconstruct this what's the worst thing that's going to happen she said well it'll feel really heavy afterwards and I said what would you do if that happened if you went for a run and things felt heavy she said well I'd come see you I said okay why don't you just go for a run and she said thank you because what she needed was the permission yeah Yeah, needed the permission and I said to her, you know, if you hurt your knee, if you had knee pain and your knee was feeling okay would you try going for a run? And she said, absolutely and I said, and what would happen if your knee started to hurt? She said, I'd come back and see you I said, okay, let's just treat it like knee pain, okay if things start to feel worse come back and see me and we will work on that, you know but we are never going to be able to deal with a a problem that you don't have right now until we test it you know i said it's like learning a new language or learning a new skill you have to actually go and try doing it before we know if it's actually a problem you know and i think that that, you know i see that you know you'll see it all the time as well we we have these preconceived notions that if i have this i can't do this yeah i have I had an x on my knee when I was 17 and I was told I had um, you know, uh, an ACL problem, okay? So I can't run, okay? Have you ever tried? No. <laughs> so how do you know you can't run, you know, right. I, you know? I have a perception that I can't, you know, that I can't, I don't know, let's say, I can't speak French, but I've never learned. So how do I know I can't speak French? How do I know I can't learn to speak French? I've never tried to learn to speak French. Yeah. So, you know, if you put your mind, I'm very much of the belief system. If you really want to achieve something in life, you know, maybe not being a millionaire overnight, you know, but most things in life, if you really want something and you're willing to put in some work and, and determination
0: to that, you can probably get there. Absolutely, yep. I hundred percent think- agree. I, and I have the same conversations around. I, I literally had a similar conversation yesterday about diastasis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we had been doing. Uh, I had her working with my kin on some exercises to just you know to test, right? To see, let's see if you can do this. Let's build your confidence. And then she's, you know, and then I said, "Well, what are your goals? Well, I want to get back to running and you know exercising, doing squats, lunges." And I was like, "Okay." Well, we've been doing some of those things and how's it been feeling? Good. And, 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 you know, we talked about it and I was like, and after our conversation, you know, I showed her a fitness person with a diastasis, you know, and I was like, look, you can have this and be fitter than like me. You know what I mean? Like you can be as fit as you want to be. Um, and so like, I basically was like, you know, if you're worried about the run, try some interval. Do walk run for a bit walk for run for a bit and just see how you feel if there's a problem come back and see me and yeah. we'll break it down and she was yeah. just like oh you mean like i can do this stuff and i was like yeah <laughs> yeah you can right and she's like oh my god that is awesome and i was like yeah, yeah. like you know, we, we've done these exercises. We've exposed you to some of this stuff. You did perfectly well. And I said, and if you have some discom- abdominal discomfort when you, at nighttime, I said, you know, maybe you can massage it and touch it. She's like, Oh no, I, I thought I would make it worse if I touched it or massaged. I was like, Nope. You know, we palpated, we looked, I looked at the tensioning of the lineal, but like, I was like, everything is really strong here. Like you don't even have a separation. Like whatever you know, whatever exercises you were doing, it, it, you don't have one anymore. And she was just like so happy. And I was like, All right, cool. I'm here yeah. if you need me. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah. it, it, but you're but you're right. It's 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 sort of, you know, I gave her options of how she could expose herself, you know, gradually and build from there. I said, just don't do a five K run if you haven't run for three years. Like yeah. you're probably gonna be sore. Right? So
1: yeah. You know, but I think that's it. I think I think sometimes people just need to be given that permission. Like, you're good, go. Cool. Like, you know, I always tell people, What's the worst that happens? It, it doesn't go well. Like, you know, you know, it, it, it's like it's like when you open your own business or, or start a podcast. What's the worst that happens? It, it, it doesn't work okay move on to the next thing like it it's okay to and I think that's another thing It's it's okay for things don't go quite to plan you just you just pivot you change your plan change it to something else try again backtrack you know but there's you know I think everyone thinks we must always be moving forward oh you know if I'm doing if I'm doing eight squats today, I must be able to do 12 tomorrow. It's like, no, actually, you might only be able to do five tomorrow. That's okay.
0: Yeah. You know, because every day is different, you know? And it's it's not linear.
1: No, absolutely not. Like, you ever try to lose weight? Um, (laughs) You know, you're like, oh, I I, I ate really well for three weeks. Oh, I put on four pounds. Um, Oh, I ate like crap for a month. Oh, I lost 10. You know, it doesn't, there, there's no, it doesn't, and rehab's exactly the same. You know, you can you can be working hard on your 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 rehab and feel like you're getting nowhere, and then kind of take a week off, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, th- things feel good. But sometimes the week off is actually what the, the client needs. Yeah, you know, because there's so many stressors in their life. You know, I've sometimes said I've actually had clients where I'm like, you know what, you're doing two online courses, your kids are starting school and you know what I don't want you to do any exercises till I see you in two weeks nothing I want you to breathe journal and go for walks every day that's it that's it and they kind of look at you oh okay and they come back feeling better
0: yep yep and and that's that's the you know and that's the 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 journey piece you know um helping people just listen to, to their bodies and recognize what's going on in their environment and, and having a discussion around what's a reasonable next step. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what do you think would be the next best step? And then yeah. kind of going from there, right?
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah, like where, where are you? And you, like that, going back to that, where are you and your goals? Yep. Yeah.
0: I have really enjoyed this conversation. Um, hopefully others, you know, are listen, you know, have enjoyed our sort of back and forth discussion around this. Right. I mean, there's no hard and fast rules when it comes to reaching your goals. Um, it's, it's having flexibility and confidence that you're going to get there. It's just um, you got to put the work in, you got to do the work, you got to try things out. And like, we're, we're here to help guide. And if things don't go as good, we're here to help um but we're not here to fix no we're here to help you fix yourself and reach your goals kind of thing right so um so i appreciate uh you know you sharing your your knowledge if people wanted to follow you uh find you where can they where can they go so I own a clinic called Diamond
1: Physiotherapy. It's in Belleville, Ontario. So either on Instagram under Diamond Physio or Instagram under Nicola Physio. That's basically my Instagram handles. That's where I. That's where I live.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Instagram is uh, Instagram is great. Um, yeah. Well, thank you again. And I'm going to take this opportunity to thank our listeners for, uh, you know, subscribing. And if you're not subscribed, you know, hit that button. And then that way every week our uh, podcast will show up in your podcast feeds. And um, we will see you on the next episode.